Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Emma Wilkinson. And I'm Lily Cantor. In this series of the podcast, we're going to be a little bit different because we're going to be speaking to the winners of our Freelance Journalism Awards. Yes, we're really excited to chat to them in a lot more detail about their freelance careers and their award-winning journalism. So we will introduce our guest for this episode in a minute, but first let's do our freelance highlight of the week. Lily, what's yours this week? So I had um, a tip off about a story that came through the other week um, that I pitched to a new online editor that I hadn't worked for before. Um, it wasn't quite right for her, but she then forwarded my email onto the magazine editor and I didn't expect anything because normally when things get forwarded on it kind of goes into the void but actually the um the editor did get back to me and that particular story didn't work for her but she was very open to other pitches so for me it's I've got a new contact and now I've got a new goal to get into that particular magazine and so I think that's what I really like is like when I have a target like I am going to get into that magazine and that's going to be ticked off my list so that was for me making that contact sort of through multiple multiple ways and I've still got this story that I'm trying to place somewhere so yeah I mean it's good when you get some feedback isn't it of this isn't right for us but have you got anything on yeah xyz that's always really helpful just to um kind of guide you in your future pitching um yeah so Mine is quite apt for this week's discussion because I finally got an investigation over the line that I've been working on for months, months and months and months. But it was proven a bit tricky from a legal point of view. Things weren't really matching up from what people were telling us. So it was really kind of difficult to sift for all that and sort it out. But in the end, it turned out to be just sort of one conversation with someone that kind of cemented the piece that I'd been right all along in the point that I was trying to make. Um, and it had it was beginning to be a real headache. They were paying me more money to do all this, but it had just it was, you know, you just want to reach the end. It's kind of just getting in the way of other work and et cetera. So I'm just really relieved that we finally got to a point where uh, it's sorted. Is that when you text me to say you wanted to kiss the interview? Yeah, I wanted to leap through, through the, the Zoom screen. screen. <laughs> <laughs> had to remain professional, didn't actually uh, leap on my expert and go oh my god thank you I just said right okay that's very interesting thank you can I quote you on that <laughs> yeah it's um, great isn't it when you have that one interview that just finally pulls it all together yeah. that's just yeah. what you need right it's time to introduce our guests Today we have with us Rachel Healy, who won Best News Story category. Sponsored by News Associates, this award was for news stories by freelance journalists working in print, broadcast or online. Rachel won for her exclusive in The Guardian, revealing that Britain's Got Talent judge David Williams made derogatory and sexually explicit comments about contestants during filming. I think we probably all remember this story. Rachel is a freelance journalist specialising in culture and has written for The Guardian, The Eye Paper, Vice and The Independent. Congratulations on the win, Rachel. Thank you. And thanks for coming along and speak to us today. Our judges said this was strong and brave reporting, which had demonstrable impact. 
We have lots of questions for you about how this story came about and working on this story. But first, let's find out a bit more about you. Tell us about how you became a freelance journalist. Yeah, so I think my first job in journalism was actually a freelance job. I started out doing night shifts at the Times. Um, but after not too long of that, ended up going into like magazine editor sort of roles and into kind of content marketing for a while just because I needed and wanted a steady job in London to get by on um so I learned loads about writing features putting together magazines editorial strategy that kind of stuff but I still wanted to do like quote-unquote real journalism so I kept on doing bits of freelance on the side of that full-time job um there's like a bit of radio stuff some things for Vice and Tuck um and I sort of kept applying for staff jobs while I was doing that, but never got really far. And it always seemed like jobs would go to someone who was already working there. So I kind of figured like maybe freelancing is the best way to get in. Um, so eventually I started kind of scaling down my kind of office job work and scaling up the amount of freelance I did and sort of gave it a proper go in, I think it was late 2018 and I've been doing it ever since then. So do you still have your other job or is that completely gone now? No so I, I quit and I now do I've got kind of some steady work on a nursing magazine so that's my sort of security and then freelancing is the bulk of what I do. Yeah yeah it's great that you had that chance to have that sort of transition and cut back and then be able to quit yeah for sure it allowed me to kind of build confidence I think and figure out that yeah maybe this can work yeah yeah definitely so on to the story then that, that won the award um just something we should mention as well is that you worked on this with um fellow freelance journalist Siren Carl so can you talk us through kind of where the story came from maybe you can't say exactly but sort of how it started yeah, so um, like you said, I, I focus a lot on culture. So in my freelance work, I've covered like entertainment and TV and have looked into issues like workplace culture and workers' rights and misconduct in the workplace and that kind of thing. So there was all of that and there was a lot of discussion last year, especially about things like the ethics of reality TV shows and like power imbalances and things, treatment of contestants and staff as well. So kind of just started looking into this based on a couple of tips that came via other work I'd done. And um, Sharon had actually worked on, she did a brilliant podcast series about reality TV and um, had worked on other stories in similar areas. So we sort of paired up to work on that together. And she at the time was freelance, but was on retainer with The Guardian. So The Guardian sort of paired us up to work on it. And how long did it take to, you know, put all this together? We kind of saw that final, you know, really kind of explosive article. But how, you know, when you're working on this and you're working on it with Sharon, how long did that did that last? It was um, a number of months. So quite a, a big chunk of last year was spent working on this. Obviously, you know, like with any investigation, there's periods where it's like busier and less busy and it was sort of ticking on over the year, but there was a number of months from the starting point to publication. 
So how does that work when you're freelance? Are you paid for your time or is, are you given a lump sum or how yeah. does that work? Well, that's the thing that I really was trying to get my head around before I even started working on this. Um, and actually one of your other winners, um, Lucy Osborne, gave me some really good advice on it because she'd done a number of really great investigations as a freelancer and basically I think the only way to do it is to have a publisher who's willing to back you and pay you for the time it's going to take to do it rather than the end product because you know sometimes it's not going to yield an end product you might not get it over the line and you might have done weeks or months of work on it so it's really crucial that someone's paying you for all of that time. Yeah, I mean, I think because I've done various investigations, but for sort of specialist magazines, and they tend to pay me a day rate, and we work yeah. out kind of over time. We kind of start with an initial, and then it might be actually this has taken more. We're going to pay you for an extra two days yeah. on this or something. And I think because I think with those kind of investigations, I don't think there's any word rate that you could come up with because in the end what you provided them and all the background information you provided them and all the stuff to support that legal process is so many words and you can end up with an 800 word article at the end of it it just doesn't suit that kind of yeah absolutely and I actually did um do another thing for the Guardian the year before or a couple of years before which was about um sexual misconduct within the live comedy scene in the UK and I think just due to my inexperience, I'd agreed to like a word rate rather than a day rate and really learnt my lesson doing that one. So yeah, day yeah, rate, day yeah. rate's the way forward. Definitely. Uh, it's good to know that that can actually work in national newspapers as well and not just kind of on the specialist magazines. Um, it kind of leads us on to our next one because I imagine this was quite a tricky one legally and there was probably a lot of information and evidence that you had to provide that we don't necessarily see in that kind of final um final news story can you talk us a bit through that process working with the guardian editors and lawyers what you had to do kind of how supported I suppose you felt in that as a freelancer yeah so I guess like as with any investigative reporting there's likely to always be legal hurdles um so there obviously had to be a really rigorous right to reply process um and the story, you know, it has been widely described as being about David Williams and the comments he made, but there were also details about the treatment of contestants on the show more broadly with, you know, the way that they were being described as buzz-offs and other things. Um, so the individuals as well as the relevant production companies therefore had to be part of this right to reply process. Um, and we obviously had to be watertight with our evidence and have confidence in what we wanted to publish and the public interest of publishing it but um yeah the guardian's legal team were just really great to work with they were extremely like detail oriented and also very supportive and very clear in describing like what needed to happen when and yeah it, it felt like a really robust and smooth process i think so that was a good experience how does that work do you do you sit down and have a conversation with them or do you file copy I mean and they're giving you feedback kind of can you talk us through that um 
kind of a bit of both actually so yeah lots of communication lots of conversations and lots of you know specific comments on the copy and things like that um and you know checking over legal letters and stuff so yeah a lot of all of that just good constant communication um and so when you published this story you must have known that that were, you know it was going to be quite a big deal quite a uh, kind of incendiary story to to publish can you talk us through the impact and what happened in the aftermath of of, of the publication yeah I think we were actually surprised by how big the response was um it was sort of picked up by I think almost every other publication in the UK and it was on TV news and it also went global so there were stories in like US and Australian publications as well um you know I guess partly because the the show itself has like franchises in so many other countries so it's quite a well-known brand but we were genuinely surprised I think by the level of interest the number of people that read it on the day of publication and things like that and then again genuinely surprised I think when it was announced that Williams would be leaving um his role as judge on Britain's Got Talent um and the stories kind of re-emerged a bit um when the most recent series was on TV recently too it seemed to be popping up in various publications again um yeah so I guess we did expect interest but maybe not to exactly this higher level and how does that feel when you have that when you can see kind of the consequences of your story the fact that he then left the show and you know there's got to be a direct correlation between the two do you feel like you've done it done a good job or does that kind of weigh on you in any way yeah that's an interesting question I mean I, I guess we never really yeah never expected to see such a a big impact and maybe quite cynically um we're probably used to in lots of areas of public life seeing um people do quite in-depth journalism about certain things and there be no real world consequences so I think it was more of a surprise than anything um and also quite interesting to see different public responses to it I think it was maybe quite split and that was quite interesting to observe and what what advice would you have for other freelance journalists who have a similar sensitive story maybe they've had a tip off maybe it's kind of really early idea um stage but they you know they have that contact um they might be worried about how to approach that as a freelance kind of the their own liability or kind of how to do this well and um, what advice would you would you have for them um when kind of starting out on this kind of story yeah I think there definitely probably are additional issues to think about when you're a freelancer like like we were saying about getting paid for the work that you're putting into it is so so vital because stories that require deep investigation are going to be time consuming and like you say there almost certainly will be legal issues that you need to work through and you don't know if you'll get the story over the line so I think if you can you know find a publisher who you feel you can work with and who will back you that's kind of pretty crucial and that they will pay for all that research and investigation and 
that they will also provide both the legal and the editorial support. Um, yeah, I think that's quite crucial in these cases. Yeah, so finding the right publisher that's going to support you and back you. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 really important. And through this whole sort of process, obviously you said it took a long time. Was there anything in particular that you learned that, you know, about the way to do investigations or to work with these kind of big organisations on this this kind of thing other than, you know, getting paid for your work? I think, um, like you said, it, it can take a long time. So I think patience is like a, a great lesson. And it's kind of good to be reminded maybe that slow and steady can be a great approach to journalism which I think sometimes sadly isn't backed by some publishers nowadays but it's really heartening to know that there are publishers who are willing to work in this way and like personally when I'm looking for other journalists work reading other people's stuff I love stories that have clearly been allowed to unfold through deep investigation and have been like given that time to to really flourish into like the full story so I think yeah patience is a good lesson and persistence goes hand in hand with that probably yeah I'm gonna um ask a question that's in a bit of a different direction now moving away from that investigation one of the kind of areas that you've developed a bit of a niche in is writing about stand-up comedy you did a really interesting piece looking at kind of the Edinburgh Festival and that pricing out kind of new young comic comics um it's a bit of a I don't think I've ever come across a, a journalist kind of covering that a freelance journalist anyway covering that beat before can you tell us kind of how you got into that yeah definitely um I think it was like covering comedy that really helped me to take the leap into freelance journalism actually and I've always loved like going to see comedy and listening to it on the radio watching it on tv and probably because my dad always had some comedy on the radio in the background when I was growing up but um when I was trying to get more into freelance journalism I felt like this is an area that I maybe have some useful knowledge and ideas about and like you said there was maybe not that many people really covering it or pitching stuff in this area so I did actually find that I've made some of my best kind of editor relationships on this subject matter um yeah I just really love like the UK comedy scene and I find it a really fascinating sort of industry and workplace as well like there's so much creativity and excitement but there's also all these issues of like access diversity workers rights and I've tried to explore that as much as possible in the work that I do in that area um and it, it's led me into something which I maybe hadn't necessarily set out to do but um reviewing stuff as well so acting in you know as a critic reviewing comedy for the guardian and then also tv theater and comedy for the eye paper now as well so it's kind of yeah led me down like a path which has been really enjoyable yeah and has it how helpful has it been to have that niche because one of the questions we get asked all the time is can I be generalist do I need to have a specialism do I need to have a niche and we're kind of like well sometimes that niche finds you which sounds like that's what happened but has that been kind of helpful in growing your your career 
Yeah, I think so. I think there are some benefits to be seen as an expert on something, especially if not many other people are doing it. And in terms of like your freelance working week or whatever, it can really save you time because you know who are the right editors for these stories. You're more embedded in that world. So you you do just naturally start to build like a network of contacts and people who want to come to you with information and potential leads for new stories so it can kind of snowball in a, a helpful way I think. But alongside that you've kind of got this other area haven't you um, could you tell us a bit more about that about working for a, a nursing magazine? Yeah so that's quite different and I think I sort of got into that because I previously worked as managing editor on the British Heart Foundation's print magazine that they used to do, um, which allowed me to sort of get into exploring medical topics, both as an editor and writing a bit as well. Um, so then it seemed like more of a natural move into the nursing magazine work. Um, it's quite nice to have, I think, subjects that are so different in a way because I find I can mentally put one to one side whilst I'm working on the other one because there's not really much overlap between those two topics. Um, and yeah, it's kind of good to have that steady work, that bit of security alongside other freelance stuff. Um, it's also been a really exciting time for nursing, obviously with industrial action happening in the past year. So it's given me a chance to get out on the picket lines do a bit more kind of video and audio work as well which has been great it's really interesting what you said about um kind of being able to kind of switch off from one and move to the other because I kind of have different things that I do bits of editing and, and regular gigs as well um but it's all in health and medicine mm. so I do sometimes find that my brain just kind of fills up and I'm juggling maybe just juggling too many things at once but maybe it's having it all on the, a similar a similar topic so maybe that's a bit of a good <laughs> tip to help to separate how do you kind of manage your working week yeah so I usually have um set days when I'm working on nursing stuff which again I think is helpful to compartmentalize stuff because I know okay this is nursing time and then the next day this is culture time or whatever it is so yeah I just try and stick to kind of doing stuff in chunks like that and just making like big hearty to-do lists and spreadsheets and things which I'm sure everyone does yeah I have got post-it <laughs> notes everywhere <laughs> yeah with endless lists and then a board with lists I'm like I'm writing the same <laughs> list in about three different places yeah never seem to get like one system going um so you have this obviously you have this big investigation you've got your sort of regular gig um so is there anything else that you can tell us about that you've got coming up that you're working on are you are you doing more investigations yeah so I'm still I'm working on some investigative stuff at the moment which I probably can't say much about sadly but um that's kind of ticking away at the moment um I'm also preparing for the Edinburgh Festival Fringe as well so I'll be working up there um for a while during August so at the moment that means just kind of gathering together ideas speaking to my editors deciding if we're going to do stuff before the fringe begins um deciding who I'll be reviewing when I'm up there um 
so I'll be doing a mix of like features news and reviews so it's just um getting prepared now that it's only a month away yeah everyone else is winding down first in the break <laughs> and you're ramping up yeah, yeah. to be the busiest time of year um just to kind of last question really do, have you found since doing the um investigation the Britain's Got Talent investigation did that lead to people coming to you about other similar topics did it lead to new contacts did it lead to kind of do people reach out once something like that is published yeah we definitely had people reaching out with um related or similar tips and obviously I'm always open to other people coming forward with um similar topics it's you know always something I'll want to look into these kind of issues of workplace culture workplace misconduct that kind of stuff is always going to be of interest so yeah I think it does you know signal to people that you do take these things seriously yeah yeah okay so Rachel to round up we're asking all our awards winners the same three questions which are what is your favorite thing about freelancing what thing do you find most frustrating about freelancing and your top freelancing tip so if you can remember those three <laughs> <off you> go. <laughs> Okay, so my favourite thing about freelancing, I think, is that to quite a high extent, I think you have control to pursue your interests and decide what you want to look into. So you, you know, even, you know, it may not get commissioned, but you can at least decide I want to look into this topic this week and this is of interest to me. I'm going to keep pursuing this. So that's a big highlight for me. Yeah, definitely. And what do you find most frustrating? I think it's probably the fees and seeing that freelancers aren't always fairly valued for the work that they do. Um, like you hear it so often, people saying that the rates at some publications haven't increased for like a decade or more. And mm. really, that is absolutely shocking because they weren't high to begin with so I think yeah I mean one of the things that we wanted to do with the general freelance journalism awards and I think we achieved this with the kind of staggering number of entries that we had is to just show how much freelance journalism is kind of a bedrock of everything that we read yeah. every day just keeps those publications going and there needs to be kind of recognition of that yeah absolutely and you know, we deserve to be paid fairly for our work and the time we yeah. put in. Yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, so top freelancing tip. I think it's probably just to back yourself, to have confidence in yourself and your work, to get comfortable with sharing your own work, pitching to new editors, being okay with rejection because, you know, it's almost never personal. And yeah just you have to back yourself because no one else is going to so that's the top yeah. tip <laughs> yeah definitely and I think it takes time doesn't it to build that confidence but if you yeah like you mentioned earlier keep persevering um then, yeah. you, then you'll get there fantastic great advice there okay we're gonna bring this episode to a close now thank you so much Rachel for coming on um it's really been really fascinating speaking to you about that and congratulations again on your award thank you thanks for having me on
If you are enjoying the podcast and you want to hear some bonus episodes, you can subscribe to the premium version of our newsletter for just £3.33 a month. For this, you also get resource lists and pitching examples. Uh, so to find out more, head to Substack and search for Freelancing for Journalists. And if you want to make some connections with more freelance journalists, then join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community that now has more than 6,500 members. And you can also take a look at our new and improved website that's now up and running where you can find all of our resources and they're at freelancingforjournalists.com. Um, come and hunt us out on social media as well. On Twitter, we're at freelancing for, and you can follow us individually. I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor. And just finally, we want to say a big thank you to our producer, Maddie Drury, and also a huge thank you to all of our Freelance Journalism Awards sponsors who we wouldn't have been able to do the awards without. Um, so they're not only news associates, but also Women in Journalism, Lightbulb, 5WH, journalism.co.uk, The Media Mentor and the NUJ. Yes, thank you to all of you for that. We will be back with another award winner next time. Bye for now. Goodbye.